My name is Sean Lazarian. Our scripture reading today is found in Mark 10, 17 through 31. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at this. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is for, to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or fields for me in the gospel, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Sean. Thank you so much, Sean. Sean, are you related to this guitarist worship? I, I could see the family resemblance there. Just good morning. I am so glad you're here. I think there are going to be people still coming in during the sermon, so I might have to take an extra uh, offering at the end, just, you know, and make sure they give. I'm so glad that you have come today, though we have a challenging text. Do you see it? I mean, I've only had one time in my life when I, when I remember having absolutely no money. I didn't grow up with a lot of money growing up in West Virginia, but the only one time that I can remember that I just had nothing and I, I wasn't sure what I was going to do to survive, I've told you about this before. Uh, I was a missionary in, in Germany at the time. I had come back to the States to do a quarter of study at, at Wheaton College, uh, and I'd gotten reacquainted with my girlfriend, now wife, Chris, and then had taken the leap... Uh, to ask her to marry me. Chris, you remember this time. I had not expected to do that when I left uh, Europe at the time. And then the big shocker, of course, is she said yes. That was, that was the shock. But then, I, do you remember this? After I had paid uh, my school bill and I'd gotten the ticket to go back to Germany and bought an engagement ring, I looked and I realized I only had like a dollar thirty-seven left and a five-pound bag of frozen spinach in, in the freezer, and there was still a lot of time to go before I was to go back to Europe and hopefully get a paycheck. Um, I remember asking myself just some, some questions. I mean, I thought, 
how do the homeless people I've met, how do they make it? They must be the most creative people in the entire universe. And I found out that that often really is the truth. Um, I thought, how am I even going to make it to the airport? You know, Chicago has all these toll booths. I didn't even have enough money for the toll booths. How am I going to eat? Uh, I'll, I'll never forget how, how embarrassing it was for me to think I'm going to have to call my family and tell my friends that I'm really destitute at this time. Now, I've, I've told you about this before, so some of you know that the Lord provided in miraculous ways. I'll, I will never forget it. But I'll tell you, this week as I was studying the text that Sean read for us about the uh, well-known rich young ruler, that time in my life when I just had nothing came back to me because I had to try to envision what it must have been like when this man comes to Jesus in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, and hears Jesus say something like this, that if you are going to find the life that God created you to live, You have to sell everything that you have, give it all away to the poor, and then come and follow me. To make a choice to do that and simply to trust Jesus. I'm telling you, that was a big call. So today as we begin our study of the rich young ruler, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stay awake first. So, okay, I know it's an hour earlier, but I also want you to envision having absolutely no money. Can you do that? I mean, some of you have experienced that, and I know in our church and in our community, some of you are going through a time like that right now. But for some of us, we have to just envision having having no retirement plan. I mean, everything gone. No investment, no, no savings account, no money market account. No house or apartment. Imagine that when you come to church this morning, really all you have is your deep faith in Jesus. That when you follow him, he is going to provide. I mean, could you live like that? Could, if you had a choice to make, would you do it? So I, I, I want you to ask, what would I do if someday someone Cross my path, just like happened in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And I came and I, I thought, this person can talk to me about how to really live. And he comes to you and says, if you're going to find the life that God created you to live, you have to give it all away and just follow me. Okay, we're going to look at it happening back in the day. And then at the end, I'm going to pull it back to us. I'll meddle for just a moment so that we can think about what Jesus might actually be saying to us from this God's word. So let's start with this man. I, I call it one man's quest. And the way I read about it, I, I see it, this as being you know, a successful man that if we saw him, he had everything. I mean, everything this world has to offer. So to think about meeting him. But he still knew that something was missing. Something was missing in his life that brought him to Jesus. So look at chapter 10, verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, and uh, if you've been here on the series, uh, many times throughout these last couple of chapters, Jesus is on the way, on the way. He knew why he'd come. Is relentlessly, he was headed toward Jerusalem where he was going to die. Jesus was on the way. A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before Jesus. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do? To inherit 
eternal life. So there we see it. What this man wanted was eternal life. Now, what do you think he meant by that? Do you think he just meant, I want a life that goes on and on and on, a life that never ends? Uh, I remember, I don't know about you, I remember going to church when I was a little boy and uh, hearing texts like this preached. And our church didn't have nice soft things to sit on. It was really hard. And, and, and as long as I go, the preacher I grew up with was longer than I am. Can you believe it? And uh, I remember sitting there in those hard benches because children were in the service thinking, if this is heaven, I mean, sitting on a bench on and on and on. Never, I don't know that I want to go there. But let, let me just tell you that even though eternal life is a life that doesn't end, Eternal life in the Bible is much better and bigger than that. And that's not just life that goes on and on and on. That's not what this young man wanted when he came to Jesus. He was longing for the life that God who made us in his image created us to live. What he was longing for, their language, was the word shalom. Um, the Gospel of Luke tells us a little bit more about this man. In, in chapter 18, it, it tells us he was young. It tells us he was a ruler, so he was kind of a CEO type. So he had experienced everything in this world. I mean, young, uh, wealthy, uh, uh, a leader, almost certainly good looking. I know it's possible to be young and wealthy and not be good looking, but it's hard. You've you got to work at that. Um, still, though he had everything, uh, he knew something was missing. So... Um, what is eternal life? I've written it out for you. So what he's longing for this eternal life is the life that Jesus died to make available to you and me. E eternal life is the life that I think as we really we wake up in a day and it just seems tough. The life that we long for the way it was made to be. That's what eternal life is. The Bible has many phrases for it or that point to it. Shalom, a life of peace and well-being. Abundant life, when you read that in John chapter 10, verse 10, treasure in heaven, uh, in entering the kingdom of God where God rules, even being saved really is pointing toward this life that an eternal life is the only, uh, eternal God is the only one who can give it to us. That's what he wanted to have. He had everything this world offered, but he knew there was something more. C can you relate to him? Do you think anybody in our world can relate to him? Now, now, his longing for this came out, at least as I read it, in a bit of an awkward way. He came up and he said to Jesus, what must I do to inherit this eternal life? Now, think about it. Do and inherit. Those don't usually go together. Usually we do to earn. We don't do to inherit. Do you see that? And so Jesus saw it and he goes right after it. So what was keeping him, what was keeping him from this life that he longed for when he had everything that most of the people in our world think, if I had that, I'd, be, I'd really be having a life, right? Well, I've, I've written down a couple of obstacles. Number one, he needed to understand who Jesus was. He needed to understand who Jesus was. Look at verse 18, uh, verse 17, good teacher, he said. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? There's nobody good except God alone. 
Now I'll tell you, when you and I read this, somebody coming up, good teacher, I, I can see good pastor. Seems rather innocuous. Um, what is he getting at? Is it, do you think this is just flattery? Common courtesy? Is he trying to butter Jesus up? I've read all sorts of things about this. Good teacher trying, because he wants Jesus to do something for him. Is that what's going on? Uh, what did he mean when he called Jesus good? So, so Jesus goes right after it. What do you mean by calling me good? No one is good except God alone. So here, I've got to bring you into something. In all of the early Jewish writings... There's no time when a rabbi or teacher was ever called good. The word that's used here was always retained for God alone. So now this man comes up and he calls Jesus good. Does he have some remarkable insight into the fact that Jesus is indeed the one and only son of God that most people in the gospel of Mark didn't have? What, What is he seeing? And so Jesus goes at the heart of that. You see... Who do you think I am? Why do you call me good? Do you really know who I am? So he he draws out the implications of what this man is saying. And here it is. If this man truly believed that Jesus was good, he was soon going to have an opportunity to demonstrate what he really believes. Because in just a few moments, this man who was seeking the life that God alone can give, that God had made him to, to give, would find out if he really believed that when Jesus called, the God who gives eternal life was calling him. I say, if it's God who calls us, whatever he calls us to do, then, then I think we need to respond. That's why it's dangerous to come to church. I guess we can seal off our ears, right? But if this is God's word and God calls you and me, we should respond. Any amens? See, that's what he's going to be able to find out here. He's calling Jesus good. And now Jesus is going to call him to do something. Would he really believe that that's who Jesus is? Do you see it? Obstacle number one. Does he understand who Jesus is? Number two. This dissatisfaction that he had of simply trying to live right. I think so many of us understand that because before even waiting for this man to answer him, in verse 19... Jesus directs this young man's attention really to the second half of the Ten Commandments. All right, I've got to talk. The Ten Commandments, there are ten of them. There are two tables. The first half is all about loving God, putting God first, honoring God, not dishonoring. So the second half of the Ten Commandments is all about how we love people who are made in the image of God. First part, loving God. The second part, about loving people. And that's what Jesus directs him to. So in verse 19, he says, you know the commands. Do not murder, number six. Do not commit adultery, number seven. He goes on, do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. So he pulls us back to, a, to an earlier one. And, and in response to Jesus asking him this, this man Makes a starting claim. I mean, what would you say? Well, I try to, but I don't think I keep them perfectly. Would you say that? Well, this, this man does make a starting claim. He says, Jesus, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus doesn't correct him. And later on, we'll see how much Jesus loved him. 
So when I read this, different from some, I'm not sure this man was claiming that he had kept every command perfectly. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he was like so many people I meet and so many people who even show up at church. He really wanted to live a good life. He was ready to work really hard at it. Uh, he, he wanted to honor his parents. He wanted to be that good filial son. Uh, he, he didn't want to use his wealth to oppress people. He wanted to help them to find jobs. He was trying to live well, but in trying to live well and working so hard at it, he still knew something was missing. Now, I, I've read so often in, in my many years of scholars and activists and even politicians who say that anybody who has wealth has gotten it in some unjust way. Have you ever read that? I don't think that's true. I don't think Jesus saw it that way. And in, in this case, I don't think this man was that way. This man was like so many people I've met my whole life. If you've ever been involved in a civic organization or community organization or in, in the public schools where we're involved and people who don't follow Jesus and yet you meet people who are such good people and are really wanting to work hard to make the community a better place. I'll tell you, in my 12 years of raising funds in a university, I met so many people like this. They wanted to use the resources they had to really help out other people. I've met it. So I, here's the way I read it. I think I wrote it. When I look at this man, I say, I think he was a Bill Gates type who wanted to use his tremendous resources and influence to bring good to the world, to bring good to people. But all of his work to live a good life hadn't filled his inner being. So all of us who have just tried, I've got to find this life, and if I do good things, I must find it. I think we can understand this, this man, and I'm sure that's why he asked Jesus, how do I find that life that God made me to have? Well, I do so much, what more do I have to do? I have a lot, but what more do I have to have? Do I have to have a little bit more? Jesus, where do I find the life? Something is missing. Do you see it? An obstacle, that dissatisfaction of trying to go it on our own and work so hard and still knowing that there's something in our inner being that, that needs to be filled. Then the third obstacle is what Jesus addresses. I call it the lacking element. Because in response to the man's claim to have kept the commands, Jesus points out to him there's one thing lacking. And the word that he uses for lacking is there's one thing weighing you down. Don't you think that's interesting? Oh, keeping you, something inside of you that is keeping you anchored to this world. So here's what you need to do. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. As he always does, Jesus goes to the heart of this man's life. Do you notice, I was pointing out before that at first Jesus was asking him about the second part of the Ten Commandments, loving people. Here he's going to pull him back to the first because as big as that second command, let's love one another, uh, as big as that is, there is a first command, you know. The greatest command is that we have to love God. We have to put God in front of everything in our lives. And Jesus is forcing him to think, you've been made for God. 
And yet there are some other things that I see inside of you that have become your identity and, and, and the center of your life. And he's going to ask him who or what is at the very core of your being. What is the most important thing to you? So here it is. When this good teacher, because God alone is good, when this good teacher calls this rich young man to follow the call of God on his life, would he put God ahead of anything else? So the issue this man was facing was, was his heart's affection, his core identity. And so I'm telling you, this was an absolutely from inside to out life-transforming decision Jesus was making him address. You see, Jesus was calling him to give up all the wealth that he had. And also, just think about it, all that your wealth can buy you. I mean, how is he going to be able to stay in his golf club? How is he going to stay in his social club? How would he continue to be asked to be on, on the boards of all these schools? All these things, you see, his whole life had been entangled by the fact that this is who he was. So his decision was between living for the material or the spiritual. Whether he would live for the temporary or the eternal. It was, the, it was a choice of who or what would be his God. If he chose the eternal, okay, I'll do what the eternal God asked me to do. He jeopardizes Everything he's lived for, his status, his influence, his reputation. If this man were to accept the offer from Jesus, wouldn't it affect every relationship that he had? What would his family say? Would his friends want to spend any time with him? The entire way of life, he was, a, he was going to have a completely new way of life in which Jesus is the one he's going to be close to and follow. Now, I'm looking. Yes, you're still here. Uh, I want you to think about this too. What would have happened if this man had shown up in church here at Lake Avenue Church? And he has a reputation in our community for doing good things and honoring his family. And you've heard he even reads the Bible and tries to live according to it. What would we say? Come quick and join the church. We'll grease the wheels of getting you into the church board. That, wouldn't we say that? And Jesus says, give away everything, then come back. We'd say, give it in the offering plate right now. Just, just think of it. This man could have bankrolled Jesus' whole mission. He could have paid for a new sound system. And you could have even heard me a lot better. He could have paid for the whole new church children's facility that we need. I'm just telling you. I know I could have gotten him a seat on my university board in a moment. But Jesus says, give it all away to the poor. What could Jesus have been thinking but that was the demand Jesus made. What would the young man do? And the real question I want us to ask is, what would you, what would you and I do? Uh, we've already had Sean read the story for us. You know what he did. But act like you don't know. Here comes the eternal life determining decision. Mark describes so movingly the man's decision in verse 22. At this the man's face fell. He went away and was sad uh, because he had great wealth. 
Um, this word, translated sad, strong word in the original language. Uh, stoignazo is the word. It's probably better translated grieved. Grieved. Uh, a word usually used for when we grieving some, grieve something very important to who we are that is being lost. You, you know another time when this word is used? Um, when Jesus is facing the cross and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he sweats uh, drops of blood. And as he is grieving this loss of relationship with his father. That would lead to, his, to him saying, my God, why have you forsaken me? That, the grieving his identity, his identity was his relationship to God the Father. And when he bore our sins, this, this sense of loss is the word that you... So do you see it? What, what the relationship to God the Father was to Jesus. That's what money was to this man. You see that? His very identity. What, what, what the relationship of Jesus was to his Father that made him grieve what would happen when he would bear our sins. That's what money meant to this man. It was his identity. It was so integrally connected with his, his very being that I think he couldn't even imagine life without having that money. And as I read it, I think Jesus is saying, if you really want eternal life, you've just got to get rid of that or you'll never have room in your soul to bring God in. You see, this young man thought that he could find what's missing if he could hold on to that and just add Jesus on. That he could hold on to that and he could do a little bit more than Jesus would ask him to do. And Jesus says, no, it's got to start by just following me. It's faith. Do you trust me? Do you know who I am? Do you know that when I ask, do you ask that, that you want eternal life? I'm the one who can give it to you. Will you trust me enough simply to follow me? You need a new name, essentially, I see him saying to the man. Your name card says, rich young ruler. You've got to wipe that off. And only have, I'll follow Jesus. I belong to him. That's who I am. So I was thinking about this. I pulled out my name card. People in the balcony, I know you can see it. Hold it up real high. See it there? Okay. Here it goes. Uh, Lake Avenue Church. Uh, Greg Waybright. PhD. Mm-hmm-hmm. That sure sounds good. Hard-earned senior pastor. Ooh, big church. Big church, except when we have a change the time. Um, you know, for 12 years I had a different name tag. It had Gregory L. Waybright, Ph.D., university president. And then I came here, and that got wiped off. Uh, senior pastor, that's still pretty good. Many of my friends tell me I've taken a big demotion, you know, from university president to simply a parish pastor. But still, it's a 
pretty good senior pastor, Scott, senior pastor. <laughs> All right, bro- brothers and sisters, you're with me here, right? You know that someday that's going to have to be taken off my name card. Might be after this sermon is over, you'll say enough. <laughs> Not for that. Uh, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen someday. And my name, then that's taken off. Then who will I be? What am I going to put on my name card? Who am I going? Who am I going to be? And what Jesus is saying is, the only thing that's going to last is for me to tell you, I'm a follower of Jesus. Who am I? I'm. I'm bought with price. It took the precious blood of the Lord Jesus to give me a new identity. Do you see it? That's what he is calling this man to. And, And this is where it goes to the heart of who we are. Who am I? Who are you? And Jesus has said, I want you to follow me. And I'll lead you to places. Other things are going to be gone. One thing can never be taken away. This man, when you look at it, he wanted to find a life, but the life is found when we become followers of Jesus. And then other things can be added on to it. You can't hold on to that and just add Jesus onto that. You see it? Is this clear? So let me make a few observations here. I, I want you to notice that material things are not bad in and of themselves. I've got to say that when we look at this text. God made all things. And when those things are put in the right place, we simply thank him for them and say, Lord, as long as you give them to me, I want to use them in a way that honors and pleases you and furthers your work and blesses people. Then possessions can be good. I mean, he didn't ask everybody to give everything up in the Bible. He sent some people right back into their homes. Do you know that? And just as in this very text part, I won't be able to get to at the end. Um. When when Peter says, we left everything behind to follow you. And Jesus says, well, yeah, but you know what you get if you leave everything behind to follow me? You get a hundredfold children, a hundredfold mothers. Do you want that? But do you know what he's saying? He said, "Uh, uh, if you leave everything behind to follow me, uh, you're going to be brought into my global family. We take care of one another. But, But notice that he says, with persecutions. Read that. So it doesn't mean life is going to be easy. But he's saying that a part of the way he'll... But somebody has to be left with something to support support those who take off. It's how the mission enterprise has been furthered. But it means those of us who are left with it need to make sure that we're just ready to give it whenever we sense he would um, have us to give it for anything, for whatever that may be. But even though possessions aren't bad in and of themselves, let me just tell you this. It's very clear that you and I, as followers of Jesus, who are so grateful for what he has done need to be ready, maybe I'd even say even anxious, to give anything and to go anywhere when Jesus calls us. Because we have learned that the way to find life is to follow Him and to find our sufficiency in Him alone. That's the first thing I want to say. Notice, too, I've got to do this, because so many people read this story and say, uh, Jesus was harsh with this guy. That he was not harsh with him. He was not. He was loving with him. Really. When you think about eternal things. He was, he was loving with him. I've read so many books about this. 
some of them will almost say, well, Jesus really put this rich man in his place, didn't he? As if there was a smirk on his face. Or why was Jesus so hard on this one man when, when he wasn't with so many others? Let me just tell you this. He was not. If you look at verse 21, the strongest word for affection in, in the Greek language is used, agape. Jesus looked at him and he loved this man. He saw a man who had worked so hard to try to find a life and had tried so hard to be good, but hadn't found it. And he loved him. And Jesus, out of that love, knew what was keeping him from life. He knew that as long as that man kept this in his life, he would never really find what he was looking for. And so out of love, not out of harshness, Jesus said, Get rid of that so that God can come in. And I'm telling you, you're going to find your life. And so isn't there there's something in that? Sometimes when you and I are going through a tough time, just look back again. I mean, I look back to that time I started with. Those times where I was so alive as I was seeking God and seeking to trust him and just saying, my life is yours. I'll, I'll do and be wherever you want. And, and saw the reality of his presence and his provision. He wasn't being harsh. So that when you and I sometimes feel like we're going through a time of want, it's not out of harshness. If we will learn to be close to Jesus, follow him, we'll probably have our greatest experiences of all of life in those moments. Third, I do want you to see that there is hope for those who have good name cards, (laughs) who are successful because of But it's only because of God's power and only because of God's grace. Uh, So this dialogue comes. The Peter and the disciples. uh, Wait a minute. He's what we want to be. And the rabbis all tell us that if you're wealthy like that, it's all God's blessing. Uh, What's going on here? And Jesus said how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And you know why? It's because our lives get entangled with all that success and all that stuff, right? It's hard. It's really hard. But then he goes on and says how hard it is for any of us, how hard it is for any of us to enter the kingdom of God. And we know that too. Because entering the kingdom of God means somebody else is becoming the king. And it is hard for us to surrender control, isn't it? Do you ever? Maybe I'm the only one here. It is hard for us just to say, my life is yours. I'll trust you, whatever you do. How hard it is. Is it impossible? I just love it. Verse 27. With man, this is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. But God must be God. He must come into the core of your being. He must be the one that we recognize is missing. See, this man, even though he had everything in this world, in terms of what really mattered, he had nothing. And that's why he went to Jesus that day. And and then he had to go away because he couldn't do it. I, I keep thinking there must have been a day one time in his life earlier on. Maybe as a child, that's why so many children come to Jesus. As a child, that when Jesus called, he would have said, I'm coming no matter what you say. But by the time we meet him, his identity had become so deeply connected to being the rich young ruler that even when the call of God came upon his life, he could not obey. All right, that's what happened one day. 
What might Jesus be asking of us? I call it another first commandment lesson. So let's remember the point that what the relationship to the father was to Jesus, money was to this young man. So his life, his status, his core identity was wrapped up with this, with this money. And, and so for him, the only way was to have someone else become the Lord and king of his life. So I have to ask you the same thing. Jesus, Jesus is calling us to examine our own hearts, to see what is in our being that we're so wrapped up with. That if that thing were taken away, we think we can't really live. That's an essential part of our identity. What what could it be for you? Um, I I do think in our world, for many of us, it is money. That's why Jesus taught... Some people say it's our our addiction to sex or something like that. You know, Jesus talked ten times more about money than that. So I think for many of us, this text really hits at our, our core beings. And we really do think if only I could get this job, if only I, if only I could hold on to this, then surely my life is I'll, I'll have this and then I'll use it for God. Instead of simply saying, God, my life is yours. What is at the core of your being? Sometimes it's bad things that are at the core of our being. We certainly aren't going to find eternal life if, if we're breaking, those, if we're defrauding people and and we're stealing and doing all the things to, and not treating our parents well. We're not going to find the life of God. But sometimes, like with this man, that might be something good that we have at the core of our beings. What could it be for you? I want you to think about that. Don't you think sometimes it might be something good like, who am I? I'm a good dad. Or I'm a good mom. Who am I? Oh, I'm... A, I read a lot. I'm a thinker. Uh, Who are you? Uh, High school student said, I I think the thing I want to hold on to is that the other students think of me as cool. Uh, I don't want to come and be thought of something else, you know. What is it that you so long for that if Jesus says, I'm going to get rid of that and uh, put myself in that place? I want you to hear Jesus asking, Are you willing to give that thing up and simply say, this is who I am. I am yours and you are mine. I am yours and you are mine. Now let's think about the one who asks it. Uh, Jesus gave up everything. He's just before going to the cross. Even that thing that he grieved The potential of feeling forsaken by his father. He was willing to give it up because he loves us. So let's see that. He is the one who is asking us to follow him. So think about that. Are you in awe of what Jesus did for you? Do you look at the cross and are you still amazed by it? Do you you ever look at the cross that we have here and and weep because you know it's, it's my sin and your sin that put him there? Do you ever do that? I'll tell you, if so, there's hope for us. There's hope for us. Because if we do, then out of gratitude, we'll know that the one who died for us is not going to ruin our lives. That when we fully surrender to him, he may ask us to do something hard, but in following him, we find life. I think the only way I know to be free from the power of things like money or fame or prestige 
the power of those things to weigh us down. And to keep us from finding the life that God created us to live is just to say to Jesus, I trust you. I belong to you. And that whatever I have, whatever I have on my name card, it's yours. That thing in my life, it's all yours. My sins, you want it? Here it is, take it. And he casts it as far as east is from the west. And he takes our lives and says, now abundant life begins. Again, I'm so sure this young man thought he could find real life without that. Don't you think he even thought there's no way in this world that you can really live life without possessions? I'm sure that's what he thought. And I think that when Jesus called him, I can almost imagine him thinking, "Ah, just a little longer, Jesus. Uh, Just a few more things I might be able to do. Uh, Wait, wait until we get a partner in the firm. Wait, wait until I get to be the president, not just the vice president. Just, Just wait a little bit longer. I don't know. Maybe this young man came back to Jesus at some time. I pray that he did. But my guess is that if we had met this young man 40 years later, we would have still found a man, no longer the rich young ruler, right? The rich old ruler. Still trying to live a good life. And still knowing that something was missing. I'll give you a verse. Second Corinthians 8 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich... Yet for your sake, he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. What what does rich mean? It means the life of God. It means finding that which can never be taken away. It means what this man was looking for. Eternal life. The one who gave his life for you calls you. Will you obey him as your good teacher and find your life to his glory? Amen. Amen. Here's what I'd like to do as our musicians are coming. Would you be willing to take out your, um, if you can, the prayer benches in front of you? I don't know that we have those in the balcony. If so, just let's close our eyes, spend a few moments in prayer. I'm not sure how clear I've been this morning. But at this point, may God's word bring clarity into your heart and life. As you look deep inside your soul, uh, what is it that's at the core of your being? What is it that if Jesus asks you to give that to him, that you say, I can't live without that? It might be that you came to church, not so much that you wanted God today, but you wanted God to give you that thing, and that has become your God. 
What might that be? What competes with God for the core of your identity? Will you take a few moments and simply say, you are first. Lord, you know how much I long for that. But if you tell me to give it to you, I will. I'll trust you. Uh, I want you to pray that whatever else you have or do not have in this world, when you have Jesus, you're walking close to him. You find everything. Just take a moment and pray.